Support for this show comes from Factor. Even with the best intentions, it can be hard to eat well. It takes time and effort to plan and cook nutritious, delicious meals. But Factor's ready-to-eat meals can take away some of the work by delivering pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals right to your door. With options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to help you glide through your day. You can head to factormeals.com slash switched50 and use code switched50 to get 50% off. That's code switched50 at factormeals.com slash switched50 to get 50% off. We want to kick things off with a song. Okay. Don't try to cry. You're way out of this. Don't try to lie. Or I'll catch you in it. Don't try to make me feel sorry for you. Just because I'm blonde, don't think I'm dumb. Cause this dumb blonde ain't no. What are we listening to? Dumb Blonde. This is Dolly Parton's song. I think she made this song in 67. I, when I hear that song, I think about the way she's singing a lot. Mm. You know, there's that kind of quivering. I don't know what you call that style of singing, but it's very much era-specific from mm. that moment. The high lonesome sound, perhaps? That kind of like a warbly sound yeah. in her voice, yeah. which was very common at that time. I think this was her big break, mm. which ultimately would land her on the Porter Wagner show, which was her really big break. Right. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Jad Abumrad. I'm the host and creator of Dolly Parton's America and Radio Lab. More perfect. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding, and you're listening to Switched on Pop. And today we're going to talk about, Jad, your newest project, Dolly Parton's America, the nine-part podcast series that dives deep into the life and legacy of Dolly Parton. This is the pretty little lady that's with us each week, Miss Dolly Parton. And I know you folks would uh, like to hear a song from her. Let's do a little bit of Dumb Blonde, just what I am. Oh, okay? no, you're not that oh, either. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> All right, Dumb Blonde. This is sort of her first hit. And what I love about this song is more meta to the song than the actual song itself. Mm. I love that Dolly Parton is this person who is constantly underestimated throughout her career, mm. taken more seriously for her physique than her actually songwriting. And then the song itself is all about that. So it's about how you think I'm dumb, yeah. but don't underestimate me, you know, jackass. <laughs> and so, but it was somehow gifted to her as a perfect encapsulation of her work and her, her life in a way. We want to know what you've learned about her music that might help us understand Dolly not just as a master songwriter, but also as an American icon. Yeah, yeah. So to kick things off, what is Dolly Parton's America, and what did it set out to do? It sort of set out to answer the question that you just asked me, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is like, what, it, what can we know and see and learn about America at this very divided moment mm-hmm. by looking at this icon who seems to cut across divisions? So everyone seems to agree that Dolly Parton is fantastic, And this is a moment when we don't seem to agree on anything in America. So it seemed like a good way to talk about this country at this moment. Because one of the things that you instantly realize when you talk to Dolly Parton 
which I was lucky to do. And also looking at her music, as you see that she has written songs about everything yeah. for the last 60 years. So she is this figure that, she's a historical figure, really. So it was a series that was trying to sort of use her as a vehicle to talk about the country. Yeah. That also, and this is why I'm really excited to talk to you guys, it meant uh, going deep into her music yeah, as that's well. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do today. Yeah. In fact, in your first episode of the series, you highlight a lot of the assumptions that are made about mm-hmm. Dolly Parton and mm-hmm. blow through them very quickly, you know, things about physical appearance and so on, and get right to the heart of the matter, which is that she is a master songwriter and musician. I had heard you play 20-something instruments, is that right? Oh, I play Adam. Uh, okay. <laughs> I can't tell them play any of them well. <laughs> the guitar is my best one. But I play a lot of mountain instruments, too. Dulcimer. A lot of harp. Banjo, that kind of stuff. And you play wind, too. You play, you... Well, that's the penny whistle. We do a little bit of an Appalachian thing that we... Just a little woodwind, but not. it's just the mountain sounds. It's not like something you'd learn okay. or play in an orchestra. It's just... It's just got that old mountain sound. Gotcha. It's like classic Dolly in a way. Like she's playing 20 instruments, but she, uh, oh, that's whatever. Yeah. I'm just like blowing into a stick. That's no big deal. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so, it's Play so classic out. Dolly yeah. in a way. Well, beyond just a multi-instrumentalist, she is one of the most prolific songwriters of all time and one of the most acclaimed. It would be a fool's errand to try to capture all of her music in this conversation, but I thought it would be insightful to dig into four uh, songs that really highlight her career and also personal highlights of yours and from the show to get a sense of who she is as a songwriter. Hmm. I want to go into one of her early works. Okay. The track Down From Dover. Yeah, 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 yeah. Will show itself because waiting's almost over. But I won't have a name to give it if he doesn't hurry down from Dover. This is an early song in her career. Can you set the scene about yeah. the song, what it's about, what's going on for Dolly? Sure. So, this is a song I think she wrote in 1970, if I'm not mistaken, or it was released in 70 which is a really interesting time in, in her evolution. As she put it to me in one of our interviews, like that period from 67, and there's four albums that she makes, she refers to it as her sad-ass songs period. <laughs> and a lot of it are these songs, which are super narrative. They tell these stories, a lot of times of women growing up in these places that are being kind of caged in by society in yeah. some way. And that's kind of what you hear in this song. You hear it's a story of a woman who... She's pregnant. Her husband has gone off and gone to Dover, and she's desperate for him to come back before anyone notices that she's pregnant. And people do start to notice she's kicked out of the house, and she uh, has the baby and is sort of ostracized and then has the baby, and the baby's stillborn as this ultimate sort of message to her that she's on her own and that he's never coming back, and she's stuck. For me, this is a song that is so much about a woman who is stuck. Hmm and is trapped by her world. I know you guys are sort of the musicologists in the room, but for me, what I think about is there's no chorus in yeah. the song. It's just like verse after verse after verse after verse. And so there's some way in which the musical structure is stuck. You, mm. know, you never get that release that you get in the chorus. And it's also this kind of relentlessness of like almost trance-inducing relentlessness that you get in those Appalachian ballads mm-hmm. that somehow mirrors what's being talked about. Yeah is that this woman can't break free. She's completely a victim. 
And what I find really interesting about this song is, I mean, it's one of her favorite songs that she put to us in an, in an interview. And they wouldn't play it on the radio, apparently, back when she, when she wrote it. Not because of it being about a, a stillborn child, which is a, just a really like startling image at yeah. the end of the song. Yes. But because it was a woman who was having a kid out of wedlock. Wow. And so like, which is a, in a way like a kind of perfect encapsulation of what the song is about. Like she's, no one is supporting the woman in the song. Hmm. And yet she's written a song that's about how no one is supporting her and they won't support her in, the, in that song. So it's a, it's a very kind of like, a, the song ends up kind of being a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Hmm. It's a really interesting song. You talk about in your show how she is a master of the song forms where oftentimes she'll take tropes and play with them. Yeah. And so a song that was being played on the radio about the exact same topic from the other perspective was Johnny Cash's Sing a Travelin' Song. Mm. You say that home is where my love is at. I say that home is where I hang my hat. The time has come to sing a travelin' song. That's fascinating. They're like in, in conversation almost. Right. Obviously, playing to the gender bias of society right, and the right. and the radio at the time. Wow, that's really that's really interesting to hear. I think this is something we're going to find in her work is that it always has larger commentary. And I want to keep moving through her discography okay. and move to probably what is her most famous song today. It's the most streamed song on Spotify mm. of hers. Of hers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Joe, you talking about Jolene? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jolene, 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 Jolene. This one does have a chorus, and it starts right on the chorus, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the greatest songs in all of the pop yes. universe, I think. I love this song on so many levels. It's such a beautiful song. The thing that always hits me about this song, I mean, it's just that the guitar hook is just so, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like those Led Zeppelin guitar hooks. Totally, like, yeah. that is a riff. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. That's where they invented the funky. word yeah. riff for that <laughs> riff right there. Just like okay, cancel all my plans. I'm just gonna sit. I'm just gonna sit here for as long as that guitar goes. You know what I mean? And then like there's that like weird shimmering sound that comes in. It goes. Do you guys know what I'm talking Ooh, about? No, we're gonna we're gonna have to can spin you play that it, back. Can you play yeah, it back? Yeah. 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 It what sounds it? like a slide guitar just going over the frets over and over. Oh, that sound Let's, kills we, me. Get a, get a, get a, one more time. <laughs> Or it could even be like the auto harp, but super compressed. And yeah. It's almost like it's counterpoint to the guitar in yeah. some way. Because the guitar is like in this one meter and it's doubling the guitar. It's double timing the guitar. Mm. And so there's like a weird kind of tension immediately for me when I hear this. Because I think if you take out that shimmer, the guitar just sounds folky mm -hmm. in some way. Oh. But you put that in and you're like, there's some deep, like some, yeah. something going on there's here. It's like a, mis a mystery there yeah. or something. In the podcast, you describe this song as the inversion of the other woman's song. Yes. What is the other woman's song, and what does it do to change it? Okay, so this was fascinating to us, and, and all credit goes to Nadine Hubbs, uh, who is oh. a uh, an academic who sort of really sort of kind of walked us through her reading of this. There's a 
genre within country music is called the cheating song, which is right. usually usually sung by guys who have been cheated on by women or are themselves cheating on those women. The Johnny Cash song. The Johnny Cash song, yeah. the one you just played, is is a classic example. Well, I guess he, I'm not sure if he was cheating, but he was leaving. He was right? leaving, yeah. So you've got the cheating song, usually men singing, and then within that there's a subgenre called the other woman song, which is a woman singing to the other woman who is about to take their man or who has mm-hmm. taken their man. A lot of Loretta Lynn songs come to mind. Um, classic example is Fist City, uh, <laughs> which is, I think, 67. I forget when that was written. But uh, if you come next to me, you're going to get a meal called Fist City. I think it's <laughs> sort of the, the paraphrase of that. If you don't want to go to Fist City, you better detour around my town. Because I'll grab you by the hair of the head and I'll lift you And so she's singing it to the woman, right? Dolly is essentially operating within that subgenre, very yeah. classically. And so you could read Jolene as Dolly singing to a woman named Jolene, being, don't take my man. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, you could just operate on that level and say, this is just, oh, it's one of those songs. It's right. one of the other woman's songs. But what's fascinating about this particular iteration of it is that in all the other other woman's songs, the other woman is never named. She's just you, you know? She's, in a sense, like, immediately demeaned by not having a name. In this case, it's the single most repeated word in the song, (laughs) her name. Mm -hmm. So she's immediately exalting this woman and repeating her name almost in a chant-like fashion. Jolene, 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 I'm begging of you, please don't... And then, as opposed to, like, a Fist City version, where it's about, I'm going to beat you down (laughs) in this version it's just a kind of rhapsodic recounting of all the ways that she is magnificent Mm -hmm. your breath is like spring you're so pretty jolene Mm. i I just love your hair and your emerald eyes are so they're just sparkling like Mm -hmm. she's essentially writing a sonnet to jolene Mm. but it's come up somehow packaged as an other woman song yeah and so you can experience it as something that's very sort of traditional, but inside that traditional rapping is something quite different that Nadine Hubbs would say is sort of a homoerotic subversion of mm. that genre. But then there's also the sort of flip of it, which is when you get to that line, don't take him just because you can, mm. that is the most devastating line. Mm-hmm. That is just the dark, one of the darkest lines in country music right there which is about power, it's about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So she's playing with power and having a conversation with a really established genre yeah. throughout the entire song. It's she, just brilliant. She, she even says at the end, my whole life depends on you. Yeah. And, but it ends unresolved. We don't know which choice we don't Jolene know what, makes. It's like, you, you know, do... Uh, what was the last line of it? It's like, uh, whatever you something shall do. I had to have this talk with you. My happiness depends on you. And whatever you decide to do, Jolene. And so it's kind of like, what's Jolene going to do? Is she going to take her man just because she can? Or is she going to do the right thing? It's really, it's like, I love the way that it ends. You just kind of, that's what makes it so haunting, I think. I like that you set up this song with sort of these contrasting elements, both the uplifting romantic song, subverting the other woman narrative, but also this dark angst that you can hear in that opening riff with that shaking whatever sound that we can't quite identify. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, some great musical components that illustrate those dueling narratives. Mm. On the romantic side, the appreciation for this this sort of homoerotic narrative of this Jolene, 
we can hear that appreciation in the instrumentation. Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green So this contrasts what was happening in the introduction. And as soon as she says that your beauty is beyond compare, what mm-hmm. happens there? I, I think we get some some strings and some sort of like steel pedal guitar entering exactly. the picture. Mm-hmm. It has you know, that sort of like 1950s symphonic romantic yeah. kind of yeah. strings yeah. that buoy the underlying appreciation of Jolene that's going on Interesting. here. You can hear the beauty. Yeah, totally. And there's something very sensual about the song. It's like playing to the senses all the way through. There's something very physical and very visceral about the instrumentation. It seems to be almost like emerging from within the lyrics in some way. Yeah. You know? So on the other side, if we go to the the angst, the like, please don't take my man, Mm -hmm. I hear that in the way that she actually sings the core line, the Jolene line. Here she's sort of pleading in her voice, and you can hear it as she rises up the melody, which outlines an, an, a lot of the notes in the C-sharp minor scale with mm-hmm. a little bit of variation. So she says, no. Jolene, 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 Jolene. <laughs> and as, yeah, she goes, as she builds up and up oh, and up, yeah. th- she's outlining the sad minor chord, which defines that song's tonality. Totally, totally. Her harmonies. Mm. When she goes... She kind of does this trill, which is very much a Gregorian trill, you know? Mm. She slips into the Dorian mode in that, which, which gives it not just a minor feel, but it gives it a very specific kind of minor, which is a minor that connects back to music written in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. And so there is a way in which it's situating this conversation almost as timeless. Mm-hmm. Harmonically, it takes it from being like a like a Carrie Underwood, I'm going to smash your headlights kind of other mm-hmm. woman song, which feels very much like this person in this moment. Somehow it takes it and it makes it just all women all through time, all, all conversations like this. I don't know, there's something in the harmonies which makes it so old mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. I love that, yeah. I don't know if it's too far of a reach to say that the, the Dorian mode, which is sort of an alteration of the minor scale... that sixth just gives it a kind of weird flavor, you know? An old flavor. Jolene, 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 Jolene Please don't take him just because you can Support for this show comes from Factor. Tired of grocery shopping, of meal prep, the dread of what's in your freezer when you're too tired to cook, then you might just want to check out Factor. Their ready-to-eat meal delivery is fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved all ready to go in just two minutes. Factor has 35 chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals to choose from every week, including options like keto, calorie smart, Protein Plus, Vegan, and more. Craving pancakes for breakfast? Want a smoothie for a midday snack? No matter what time of day or type of meal, Factors got you covered. 
Factor let me try out some of their meals, and I was a huge fan of the garlic and herb roasted mushrooms with olive oil, mashed potatoes, roasted green beans, and tomatoes. It was super easy to prepare, and it tasted delicious. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more. Head to factormeals.com slash switched50 and use code SWITCHED50 to get 50% off. That's code SWITCHED50 at factormeals.com slash switched50 to get 50% off. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, so far we've reviewed her early country-oriented work. Mm-hmm. But we also want to break down songs from her late 70s and 80s career, which moves a bit more into the mainstream. Yeah. And there's a song in the first episode of Dolly Parton's America that breaks us out of Dolly's intensely narrative lyrical approach and captures a much broader, more universal human experience. Sort of the feeling when your lowest moment starts to feel like it might possibly recede and there will be a light at the mm, end of the tunnel. Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A sense of, uh, you call this feeling, a sense of relentless hope. Let's have a listen. That is a jam. So good. <laughs> wow. I was just thinking, like, man, why aren't people covering this song? Seriously. So, Jeb, what can you tell us about the song Light of a Clear Blue Morning, which we should all be covering? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what can I tell you? I can tell you that I was thinking back to a moment when a producer I w- was working with on this project, Shimoli, I runs in and plays a bit of her autobiography where she describes hmm. the genesis of the song. Uh, it's a beautiful passage where she was just tying up. She was, I think it was the final conversation with Porter Wagner. Porter Wagner is the country star and longtime TV collaborator of Dolly Parton's during the early part of her career. You know, they had a very difficult musical divorce. Right. I think I think it was one of the final conversations. She leaves his office. She's in tears. Hmm. She gets in a car and starts driving. It's raining. And if you consider her position at that moment, she is leaving the most successful country music star of that era and, and venturing out on her own at a moment when, like, female headliners wasn't really a thing. Mm. So she's walking into an uncertain moment, and she's there, and she's crying, it's raining, and then she says, suddenly um, the rain stopped and the, and the skies cleared, and she saw the sun. Mm. And it was that moment of, like, I'm going to be okay. I'm free, right? Mm-hmm. She profoundly captures that feeling in the song for me of, like, when the chorus hits, you just feel, you feel, you literally feel in your body that sun bursting through yep. in some way. Yeah. Uh, you feel the sadness breaking. It's that feeling of like when you're sick for a really long time and then the first day you're healthy, mm. you're just like, you feel like <laughs> glorious, right? It's like that feeling in the chorus. 
when it drops like that? I mean, and also, I just think about her as a songwriter. Like, she's literally walking to the deli and songs are falling out of her head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, any moment becomes captured so, in these beautiful yeah. songs. Uh, like, like the, uh, even that moment. It's like Michael Jordan in the 95 finals. You know? Completely. Completely. Like, that period from like 69 to 74. Is this past the sad ass song period? Yeah, it's, it's the transition out of sad ass songs and into sort of more like more propulsive, percussive, mm, yeah. like 70s Dolly, mm. which is my favorite Dolly, by the way. Mm. I love 70s Dolly. Mm. She's just literally like writing songs every, like three or four a day, practically. Unreal. It's yeah, we unreal. Can, we can think about this with some contemporary analogies, songs like Kesha's Praying. Or Mariah Carey's Hero. Or Andrew Day's Rise Up. And we'll rise up. I like the waves. We'll rise up. In spite of the ache, we'll rise up. Or all these songs about sort of overcoming, and they're very universal. They're not very clear about who it's necessarily about. It's something that anybody can sort of latch onto and map their experience onto. And I love how you point out, Jad this sort of feeling of like a rising dawn, the sun is just going up and up and up. And we hear that, Mm -hmm. as you said, in the transition from verse to chorus. What I wanted to do was to play each transition and hear Mm -hmm. how the sun rises greater and greater and greater and see what you hear in those transitions. Okay. So here's the first verse going into the first chorus. And everything's gonna be all right. It's been all wrong. I hear a palm-muted, chunky guitar Mm -hmm, almost mm -hmm. acting as like a drum fill rising us to this Mm -hmm, moment, and then we get the drums and all the instrumentation come in, and and, and things are building, but we're nowhere near where we're going to get. All right, now we're going to go from the second verse into the second chorus. Double time. Right. All Nate, right. What just we've, we've just raised the propulsive stakes. Oh, yeah. You get, the, you get the strings, you get the the vocal harmonies, and you get the double time beat. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. I never thought, I'd never, I love the juxtaposition there. That's cool. The sun is shining brighter, but mm-hmm. every song must have a dip, right? You have to have a bridge. Things have to fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think the narrative pull is still there. So this here's is like a cloud crossing the <laughs> sky. All right. <laughs> Let's see if you can get this reference. Unbelievable. 
the bridge here for me is like it's almost it's choir like it's church like mm-hmm. it yeah. it pulls the energy down so that we can get to one final high point and at the very end we get a double chorus and things go absolutely bananas have gone half time to double time to quadruple time (laughs) the snare is hitting on every single beat oh that's so good that's so good i have never thought to break it down that way you're so right i just feel it you just feel like a kind of just a rising explosion but that's exactly why i feel like we also need to talk about the other element that gives you that sense of triumph maybe the melisma in her voice Melisma being a word Mm -hmm. to describe singing multiple musical pitches over a single syllable. Can you play that bridge section one more time, Charlie? Where where it gets quiet? Yeah. Uh, So C E E E E E the light C E E E E E E. I think that's an eight-note melisma. Wow. Huh. So stretching out the a single syllable word C into eight pitches. I think what that does musically is it turns a kind of pedestrian, mundane word into something kind of like holy or something. Kind holy. of. Well, certainly hymnal music did exactly that. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. We were, talking about, yeah, we were talking about Dorian modes earlier in Jolene. This kind of melisma is also a very old school technique totally. to stretch out a word like that. It feels very reverent, very... Nate, you're throwing my entire argument off base because I was trying to establish here that she's a pop act, and now we're actually just going back again <laughs> no, to Gregorian chant. <laughs> I, I, I love what you're saying, Nate, because it's like... Um, the, you know, I mean, melisma is something you hear a lot in Appalachian balladry, mm, right? Yeah. Which, but I also think, I mean, one of the things we explore in the podcast series is that that's, uh, that was itself borrowed from Middle Eastern music. It's oh, cool. one of the gifts that yeah. uh, Middle Eastern music has given to uh, this music that we sometimes falsely identify as being like white people in the mountain music. Right, music. right. I always associate melismatic singing with sadness, hmm. right? It's a, a vocal way of, of emulating crying in some way. Hmm. But I, I love in this moment that it actually feels like almost just like, it's also kind of an upward gesture. It sort of comes up and goes right, down again. Right, right. Oh, which, yeah, it has like a peak it, and a valley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you, I, I hear your point, Charlie, but we've also been talking about like timelessness as a part yeah. of this music, mm-hmm. universality as a mm-hmm. part of this music. Maybe referencing certain older musical techniques contributes to that feeling too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it does. She's clearly someone that knows the body of pop music and is particular in the way that she identifies form, but also maybe referencing other genres, which is a way to segue into the moment when I think arguably that Dolly really transitions from country act to firmly a pop act mm-hmm. in the film and song Nine to Five. In the film, she starts with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and in the song, she sings about the sort of same themes of the film. Let's hear some of it, and I want to lead into it with this great clip from Dolly Parton's America with Jane Fonda and Dolly discussing how it came to be. One day Dolly arrived on the set and she said, hey, y'all, come over here. I think I got a song for us. On the set, when we did that with Jane and Lily, I wear these uh, acrylic nails. And And she used her fingernails like a washboard, kind of, you know, keeping time, rubbing her fingernails together. 
clickety clickety click. So I thought it sounded like a typewriter too, so I'd do a tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. Cup of ambition. I love that line. And I remember when I was writing that, pour myself, and I was going to say coffee, and I thought, a cup of ambition! Yeah! <laughs> and I said, high five! And she sang the working nine to five. So this song has been hailed as a feminist anthem. Mm. What did she say when you asked her about owning that mantle? Well, I mean, it was one of the first glimmers that Dolly Parton is a really fascinatingly complicated person. Right. I asked her the question, do you consider yourself a feminist? Almost as a throwaway question, because mm. I just assumed she would say yes. But uh, mm. she kind of like almost leaned back as if the word had hit her <laughs> in some way. And, uh, and she said, no, no, I don't. And then kind of uh, like spiraled for about two and a half minutes about how she considers herself a woman, a woman in business, a powerful woman, but she loves men. She writes songs from the perspective of men and was really just very, very hesitant to take mm-hmm. on the, the label feminist. I think uh, for obvious reasons, right, because it holds a certain idea in certain circles that, you know, she has a huge fan bases that span political boundaries. And so I think a good majority of her fan base probably doesn't like that term. But yeah, it was interesting to consider that the same person who wrote 9 to 5, which is itself the central song of a movie which is based on a union that is trying to empower female clerical workers, as they were called. And so it's one big advertisement yeah. for a union. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she wrote the defining song of that movement. It is the song of working people, totally. working women particularly. And so it's interesting that that person doesn't want to be anywhere near the word feminist it's it's a it's a fascinating kind of in politics but out of politics kind of dual stance mm-hmm. in a way yeah you 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 talk about on, on the show about how she is able to exist not only across the political spectrum but also have deeply subversive songs where you're mm-hmm. like I, I think i know how to label this and then she's unwilling to take on the label to yeah. protect her business she even talks yeah. about you know be, yeah. being concerned of what happened to the dixie chicks talking out against, against totally. the president and um but, but going into the song, I think it, there's – in the music, we can even hear the sort of references that she might be trying to connect to, um, some other political music. When I, when I hear 9 to 5, I hear those horns. Mm. Um, I'm just going to play that back-to-back with um, another song I think you're going to know.
you know, here we've got some really yeah. funky sounds that are very akin to Stevie Wonder, yeah. who in songs like Living in the City and so much of his work is talking about the difficult life of impoverished living in the city and, and the challenges of, of young black people uh, in the 1970s. And she's working with those same sounds and making a feminist sort of anti-capitalist Interesting. anthem. Interesting. She's using this sort of like uh, the, the musical associations as a way to connect to other struggles, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, I lo- I I think it's one of the aspects of Dolly's music in general that I really, the way she borrows sounds from other genres, mm-hmm. you know, I think is really really cool. Like, there's some very much there's like very in the in the guitar that you hear in like the seventy one two three. I feel like she's borrowing from Zeppelin, you know. <laughs> In some of her vocal ways, she's borrowing from the Beatles. Like I love, I love that she's also borrowing from Stevie, and not just in, for the brass, but for the struggle. You know, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that cool. funky rhythm guitar. It's like it's it's more of a urban sound in a lot of ways, which is maybe appropriate for this sort of the factory grind. This is cool. I'm thinking Stevie Wonder's America next, maybe. <laughs> Man, you know, maybe. Maybe I. I, I are you pitching that, Charlie? Is that what I'm reading here? Oh, I would. I'm I not would. For that. I would. I would definitely. I mean, it's, it's all about access. If Stevie wants to let us hang out with him for as long as we got to hang out with Dolly, yeah, we'll definitely be your producers on that. Okay, excellent, <laughs> excellent, Stevie, if you're listening. Yeah. I want to listen to just one last song quickly and get your reaction because I hear this is one of your personal favorites. Mm. Oh, this is such a jam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could talk for about 25 minutes about this song, so <laughs> you, should I should I edit myself? You've, you've got three words. Oh, <laughs> I got three words, that's it? I feel like this song is the moment that Dolly took control. Mm. You know, took control of her life, took control of her music, took control of the band. I mean, you can define the beginning of Dolly's ascendance at all kinds of places, but this for me is the beginning where she was just like, you know what, I'm in charge now. Yeah. And you hear that in the music. You hear that in the way she sings, you hear that in the way she, the band is following her. Like, it's a song about a mule skinner, right? This is, this is a, someone who drives mules. Mm. It's not someone who skins mules. It's someone who actually, like, mm-hmm. you know, gets them to go where you want them to go. And it's very much in the in the grammar of the song is that she leads the band. The band has to wait for her to stop holding that note oh. before it can move on. Well, good And so, like, she's literally driving the band like a mule skinner is <laughs> driving mules oh in God, that moment. So, wow. so she's just, she's owning it. That's wow. what I hear. What were some of the assumptions about Dolly and her music that going into the series has changed? And where are you now? I don't know if it's an assumption or if it was just a, a lack of awareness or a lack of appreciation. I didn't understand her power as a songwriter. Hmm. I had experienced Dolly the way that a lot of us experienced Dolly, which is as a media figure, mm-hmm. as somebody who is on late night talk shows promoting whatever it is she's promoting and then it always devolves into kind of a comedic thing and she's so funny and she's so quick that it becomes kind of like I almost saw her more as a comedian 
than as a musician. I'm embarrassed to say that now. And so one of my first assumptions that was broken was just like, oh my God, this is one of the great songwriters of our era, of our of the last 50 years. I mean, this is like yeah. Gershwin level yeah. mm. of output and, mm. of, and of like impact. One of my other assumptions, and again, I'm embarrassed to say this now, is that I, because I grew up in Nashville, which is Dolly's world, right. I just assumed she was more of a regional figure than a global figure. And her reach and her impact, the way that her music just disrespects all boundaries. <sighs> you know, it's like geography, genre, and anything. The way that it translates to people that I would never think it translates mm. to, that has been just over and over completely surprising. Jed, thank you for doing this with us. Everybody should go check out Dolly Parton's America. It's absolutely fabulous. They can find it anywhere they get their podcasts. Yes. Uh, iTunes, Google, all the things. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. This was really fun. Thank you, guys. This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by Megan Lubin and me, Charlie Harding. We are engineered, mixed, and mastered by Brandon McFarland. We're produced by Bridget Armstrong. Our executive producers are Nashat Kurwa and Liz Nelson. We are proud members of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and you can find more episodes of our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. And check out our new book, Switched on Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters, anywhere you get your books. It's a great holiday gift. We've got some really exciting live events coming up. Check out our website, switchedonpop.com slash events, in order to check them out. We'll be back again another week. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Hey, everybody. We are going on a book tour in January. So if you want to see a live version of Switched On Pop, check out switchedonpop.com slash events. We're going to see you in New York, L.A., Seattle, and San Francisco. Support for this show came from Factor. You don't need me to tell you that finding nourishing food that actually tastes good can be easier said than done. Factor might be able to help. With Factor, you can get fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals sent right to your home, ready to go in just two minutes. Factor provides no prep, no mess meals. That means no cooking or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash switched50 and use code switched50 to get 50% off. That's code switched50 at factormeals.com slash switched50 to get 50% off.